Thank you for tuning in to the Practical Preservation Podcast. Please take a moment to visit our website, practicalpreservationservices.com, for additional information and tips to help you restore your historical home. If you've not done so, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and also like us on Facebook. Welcome to the Practical Preservation Podcast, hosted by Danielle and Jonathan Kepperling. Kepperling Preservation Services is a family-owned business based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, dedicated to the preservation of our built architectural history for today's use as well as future generations. Our weekly podcast provides you with expert advice specific to the unique needs of renovating a historic home, educating by sharing our From the Trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home. Today on the Practical Preservation Podcast, uh, we have Sam Slaymaker uh, with us from the Rockfort Plantation. Is that the, the correct organization name or is it the foundation? Well, the organization name is the Rockford Foundation. Okay. Very good. So um, tell me a little bit about your background. Uh, well, um, I was a, um, as an undergraduate, I was a history major in college. Um, and then after college, I went to law school and I practiced law in Lancaster for a good 10 years full time. And during that period, though, I maintained my interest in history and I volunteered on the boards of several different local historical organizations like the Historical Society, Donegal Society and Wheatland. Um, and when I was serving on the board of Wheatland, um, I, and, and this was back in, gosh, 1999, actually, um, I sold my partnership interest in the firm that I was in at that time. And I had started, even while I was in uh, practicing law full time, to take classes at Millersville at night towards getting my master's degree in history. Okay. And, um, so, um, and night and the early around 2000 or so Wheatland, um, had a real, had sort of a staff shakeup. I was the chair of the personnel committee. So I became the acting director of Wheatland. And then to make a long story short, I then ended up remaining director at Wheatland for, I guess, about three years. Uh, my wife, um, is also an attorney. She took a position with the U.S. Trustee's Office in Georgia, outside of Savannah. So we moved to Georgia for a year, and then about 2005, we moved. We came back to Lancaster, and it was that point that I um, started as the part-time director of Rockford. Okay. And then Rockford at that point was only open a few days a week. It wasn't in a very good place. I was practicing law, um, you know, uh, part-time. I had sort of a niche practice dealing with historic preservation law and real estate. 
And then eventually I became the full-time director of Rockford and I have been ever since. So I'm sorry I have to give you such a long answer. But... Oh, no, that's fine. It's, it's, it's interesting. And I'm, um, it's, it's funny when I ask people that question, a lot of people take a lot of different paths to get to where, where they are. I think it's more common than, than not. Mm. To, um, to, to, but it, it, you, there's always usually a central theme. <laughs> right. So, well, um, what, 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 um, what, what made you curious about um, history and preservation? Um, well, I think part of it may have been that um, my, I, I grew up at White Chimneys, which is a historic home um, in um, Gap, right on Route 30. And that had been in my family for over 200 years. And it was full of artifacts, paintings. And in fact, during the bicentennial, my father, who was also very interested in history and studied history in college, he actually um, had retired early from the Slaymaker Lock Company and opened up White Chimneys as an historic site. So I, <clears throat> I actually kind of, in a sense, grew up above the shop as far <laughs> Historic yeah. house museum business goes because we lived upstairs. That wasn't a tour, but the rest of the house was open in the 1970s. And um, so that I think sparked my interest. I never imagined that. I mean, I thought I was just going to be a practicing law and that was it. I never imagined that, you know, what I had grown up around as a kid was eventually what I'd end up doing. But right. that's the way it worked yeah. out. <laughs> Well, and, and that's a very, um, that, that, that property does have a lot of history and that's a very, um, interesting, I, I don't know if I would think to open up my house at the museum, but, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. but, but what a great way to share that with the community. Yeah. At the time, a lot of people might, thought my father was kind of crazy about, to do it. Uh, I think his idea was that it was a way of preserving the house for yes. fe the future because then after him and after us, it could just become a museum and then uh, it would take care of itself. Ultimately, my wife and I lived there for a few years after we were first married, but it was, it um, became difficult because we were both practicing law in Lancaster and then we had a young kid at that point and it became the house became what I call the tail that wagged the dog and <laughs> everything about our lives. We figured that wasn't good. So ultimately we ended, we did end up working with the historic preservation trust in Lancaster and we put historic facade and open space easements on a house to yeah. preserve it perpetually. And then we worked with the Lancaster farmland trust to put easements on the farmland. Around. Um, yeah. I didn't realize about the farmland trust. I actually was familiar with the, the facade easement because the um, current owners, um, I do consulting for the trust now. And yeah. I, re I reviewed, I reviewed the um, change. They wanted to, um, they just wanted to replace the roof with, with, with wood shingles. And I did that review for them in the okay. fall. So I, I was familiar with the easement. <laughs> Yeah. I so, think that may have been one of the first easements like that in Lancaster County, or at least that's what they told me at the time. Well, I know definitely it's the it's the oldest building that the trust has an easement on. Okay. Yeah, most of because mo most of the most of the easements were done are are in Lancaster City because developers wanted them for the tax credit. So 
you know, it's something that, that you know, is, is not as widely used as the, as the farm uh, tax credits. Well, it arose out or, of a, uh, easements. Right. And it arose out of, um, I mean, there was no real, there was no great, as far as the uh, facade easement, there was no real tax or financial benefits. Right. Yeah. But it was a way of recognizing our responsibility um, as the owners and caretakers, really, of this historic property. Right. Uh, to make sure that, you know, future generations would, you know, protect, it would be protected. Yeah. Uh, without yeah, and, to just remain the owners and to be the ones taking care of it. Right, right. Yeah, and that, that is something that, that when I talk to people about like National Trust Register and all those things, as I'm sure you know, that the only thing that really protects a building is, is an easement. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so um, tell me a little bit about, uh, about Rockford, the history of the house, the Hand family. Okay, well, Rockford was the home of General Edward Hand, um, who was Washington's adjutant general during the later years of the Revolutionary War. Um, he was a medical doctor in Lancaster. He had been born in Ireland, actually, in 1744, originally, uh, served in the British Army, and came to America with the British Army as a surgeon's mate, or army doctor. Um, he resigned his commission in the British Army in 1774 and then moved to Lancaster and became a doctor in Lancaster. When the Revolutionary War began, he became the um, a lieutenant colonel in the 1st Pennsylvania Regiment and then served throughout the war at several key battles, Trenton, Princeton, Long Island, so forth, rose through the ranks, became a brigadier general, and ended up as adjutant general of Washington and was with Washington as adjutant general at Yorktown. And then when he when Hayne returned from the Revolutionary War, he um, had he and his family had been renting a house in downtown Lancaster. But in 1785, he purchased about 150 acres, about a mile and a half southeast of downtown Lancaster in this area along the Conestoga River. It was already locally known as Rock Ford um, okay. uh, because there was a ford there to ford the Conestoga, mm -hmm. the rock. And then um, he had the house built sometime between 1785 and 1794. And uh, he died in 1802. His family then sold the property in 1810. And it was then, it was never um, occupied by another owner uh, after the hands. There were tenant farmers that lived okay. there, uh, was owned by absentee landlords. And that continued up through the 1950s. Uh, by 1957, speaking of historic preservation, uh, Rockford was going to be essentially demolished to make room for a municipal incinerator oh, goodness. <laughs> to be built on the site. And there were a few individuals in Lancaster that thought, well, we should try to find a way to preserve this building. And um, a lot of people thought they were crazy to do it back then, but they did. And then they joined forces with some ladies from the Junior League of Lancaster, which about 20 years earlier, of course, had played a pivotal and central role in preserving Wheatland. Um, so they'd been through it before, and then they really um, they formed the Rockford Foundation, which is the nonprofit corporation that exists to this day that still owns and operates Rockford. And Rockford was opened to the public as an historic house museum for the first time in 1960. 
and it's been um, continuously open as a historic house museum since then, well, until the shutdown right now. Right. <laughs> that it's very interesting to me that it was not occupied by by the owners since the early 1800s. That probably helped preserve some of the the um, the architectural fabric because people were less likely to put a lot of money into it and and try and update it too exactly right it's exactly what happened they didn't left it essentially unchanged yeah Uh, did you i I, when they when they did come in to preserve it i'm assuming they had to take like the the did they have to come in and take like plumbing and things out though was some of those things were some of those things at it actually not uh, not much Um, okay when the tenant farmers lived there, they lived for years with no electricity. Oh goodness! Or running water, they had a pump. Mm-hmm. They lived a very uh, 18th century kind of life. Yeah. And I think in the 1950s, one point they did put in some electricity, but very little was uh, was, was done, done to up, up, upgrade. Yeah. So really, it yeah. was um, it was kept intact, and I think it's considered to be one of the best preserved examples of original late Georgian style architecture, excuse me, in the country. Um, And that's, as you said, that's exactly why it's because essentially it was, um, it was maintained. They did the sort of the minimum of what they need to do to maintain it, but the owners, but because they didn't live there, they never renovated it. They never modernized it, Victorianized it or built additions. So Okay, very good. And I know that there's a trend, you know, in in the in the house museum business um, to start to incorporate, you know, the complexity of American history into telling of the stories. Have you or how have you included the history of the enslavement um, into the of 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 I, there's there's what three or, were there three people enslaved at Rockford? Well, there were there were we believe two two okay not at the same time started to include that into your story or we have um and we include it in the tour and we talk about it on on the website Mm -hmm. originally of course the tendency was to well at all historic sites really they didn't talk about it at all even in the south really right seldom um in the north, it was different because obviously slavery existed in the north, and many, many people don't know that. Right. And they don't know that there were slaves in Lancaster. They have no idea about that. Um, because Rockford is called Rockford Plantation. Oh, I could see it, yeah. Yeah, that became an issue because people think here plantation now and immediately think about slavery. Um, Ironically, maybe the term plantation in the eight, late 18th century Pennsylvania was just often just used to just mean a farm. Or right. Large, yeah. Kind of like they call Plymouth, you know, Plymouth Plantation in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. We do talk about it. Uh, we don't know a whole lot. Um, the, uh, the main um, enslaved person we know about was named Frank. And we know about Frank because he was listed in uh, the census, I think, of seven. 1890 and then 1800 um, and the slave register and Frank escaped in 1802 
and the hand ran a newspaper ad offering a reward for his return and that has a description of him in it mm -hmm. and that's most of what we know about him there's right. really um hand owned some enslaved people during the revolutionary war um that were at the downtown lancaster house there were also some um you know indentured servants non-african-american indentured servants and there too at rockford the records are kind of unclear whether they're indentured servants or not mm -hmm. so it is something we want to talk about it's always very challenging because we feel i mean obviously it's emotionally difficult mm -hmm. but it needs to be talked about and we did actually about two years ago we set up we worked with the african-american historical society in lancaster mm -hmm. and um had numerous discussions with them and then with our board and volunteers we had a full day session at the lancaster history and just kind of had a went over all these points like how we should approach it we wanted right. to get their input on it because i mean we have our perspective but we thought their perspective was probably more important even right than yeah so yeah, we've been wrestling with, and, and one of the things that's difficult is, is because, you know, again, it's, it's complex in that when we discuss it, we need to discuss it, but we also need to make some distinctions between like a Southern plantation where it was really all about, uh, they had hundreds of slaves and right. the whole economy was built around. And then in Lancaster County where slavery existed, but it existed alongside of, indentured servitude and, right. and all sorts of kind of very hard to understand to us now arrangements um so it's an interesting topic and also we don't we don't there's not a lot of records about right yeah yeah and and i i i yeah i and i think that i think that that's where a lot i i'm glad that as a country we are starting to talk about the history of you know the complete history of the country because I think that's important to understand where we came from so that we can you know help make moving forward better. Um, but it is hard and it it and if you don't have great records and you 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 don't want to fabricate history either. You want to tell the story. Exactly. So I could I could see those challenges. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So you have, I know that there's a variety of usages, usages at the, at Rockford, that your current, current usage. So we've talked a little bit about the house museum and you offer tours um, and then you have special events and also, and actually one of our pod, our previous podcast guests, um, Wes Swanson, uh, the brickmaker, yeah. yeah, was because I saw an ad for, for the, for the educational events. And then the the also the rentals. Can, so can you tell me a little bit about how how the property is being used now? Yeah. Um, sometimes I say we're a bit of a three ring circus. <laughs> different things going on. Um, sometimes that are related. Sometimes not as closely related. Um, and as we've talked about, of course, Rockford is a the house uh, is open. You know, for guided tours. So that's, and that's kind of our, um, in a way, that's our raison d'etre. That's how Rockford really started. But then we recognize that's, that's fine for visitors, the area, they've never seen Rockford. But really, to build a constituency and a base of support locally, we recognize it's very important to offer regular programming so that local people have a reason 
to keep coming back right. and to learn more and to connect with the property and hopefully want to become members and want to support it. And um, so we've done some collaborative pro uh, projects, for example, with Theater of the Seventh Sister. Um, we've done these plays, these little short, like one act plays with, that they've performed, but based on themes that are historically uh, connected to Rockford at least. And last year we did a, um, a one act play based on or drawn off from Emma, Jane, Jane Austen play. Now, of course, we're not England and we're not <laughs> Jane Austen, but we are that period and the hands were of English descent and said so their lifestyle would have been somewhat similar in many ways to the country gentry of England during that mm -hmm. period. And so we felt that that fit and it had the period dancing. We have a group of volunteers who do period dancing and gave them an opportunity to showcase their skills. Um, we do a number of school programs. Um, we've done some programs with the, um, Lang we're, we're in Lancaster City, which a lot of people don't think realize we're in the southeast corner of the city. Mm -hmm. So we've done some programs with the school district of Lancaster. Um, one of them you'd mentioned um, was um, called, what well, was called the house that hand built and it brought on site some um, surveyors, um, uh, Wes Swanson, who made, who showed how bricks were made and how surveyors showed how surveying was done. And the basic premise was like back in uh, the 18th, late 18th century, how would Rockford have been built? Right. And so it was a chance for the kids to learn about that and to try their hand at surveying as they would have done it back then. I don't completely understand, to be honest with you. <laughs> I know you look through something. <laughs> you look through something, and they have these long chains, and the, to get uh, the, yeah, yeah, to get the the right kind of chains, um, they had to get them from India ultimately, because oh, really? modern surveyors don't use them, of course, anymore. No, yeah. It's all modern computerized digital and equipment. Lasers, yeah. To do the measuring with chains, and to get chains that are, were non-metric that were the old feet oh, yeah. length was really hard. And one of our, uh, our volunteer, who was our education coordinator, put it all together. She or, um, ordered these chains, finally found them in India, but they had to be shipped in and she had to go to the Philadelphia airport and pick them up. At oh Costco. my goodness. <laughs> yeah, it was unbelievable. And she did all that and that was a great program. Wes Swanson showed how bricks were made because bricks at that time, apparently they would make the bricks usually on site. Yes, yeah. And uh, so that's, he should have, that would have been done, the surveying for the, pro, you know, the placement of the house and the property, all of it. So um, when they learn uh, things like that, the house doesn't become so much just an abstraction. It becomes something much more real to them. Right. Um, and then, and yeah, so there's other, but also the other thing, the big aspect of, we do, of course, to um, help pay the, um, the bills to keep the cash flowing were in the wedding business. And uh, we have a barn at Rockford, which is an 18th century barn that was moved. It was going to be demolished. I think it was in Southern Lancaster County. So it was purchased by Rockford for a dollar in the 1970s. And then in 1975, it was reconstructed on Rockford in the site of where Edward Hand's barn was originally, which had since burned down in the 19th century. Um, so the barn, the first floor of the barn was built not to be a barn, but is like a, it's, you know, climate controlled and essentially it has the old features and charm of the barn, but it's, it's a, it's a modern 
a facility that can have meetings and special events. And eventually, years ago, they started renting it, uh, the first floor of the barn, the grounds, and the area around the barn for a tent pad. And wedding receptions and special events are held there, rattles, um, you know, during the season, usually April through the beginning of November. Um, and uh, that's an important source of just operating income. And right. we have a rental coordinator. But really, the rental business, which is very important to our operations, it doesn't have much to do with um, with history or everything else we do, but it does help to pay the, yeah. the bills. It is funny that actually some people are there for weddings. And I think they have no real conception that Rockford is an historic site or what Rockford is. Right. Some people really, it's really important to them. And that's one of the main reasons they choose to have their wedding there mm -hmm. to other people. It's like, Oh, there's this big estate. We get to have our wedding here. Right. <laughs> Beginning of end the story, which is yeah. fine. Yeah. We do offer, they do, they have an option of having a self-guided house tour uh, during the, you know, before the reception, after the ceremony, which is nice because then at least they get to see the house and appreciate, right. well, this is really what this is all about. Yeah. The, that's kind of the, um, I went to a, probably more than 10 years ago, went to a um, business side of preservation um, uh, conference in Vermont. And one concept I took from that was do two things. So like, if you're going to rent a facility to have an event, do it at a historic site because then you're helping preserve it and have your event. So it's, you know, it's that do two things thing. So yeah, if you get people who are into, into preservation and into history, I could see that being, you know, a, a draw to them. But it is a, it is a beautiful facility also. Right. We always are very upfront about that in the rentals that we try, obviously we do everything they can, we can to make sure they have a nice event, but we all also make the distinction that, um, you know, first and foremost, we're a museum and an historic site. And that's why we, you know, that's why we're here. Um, there are a lot of venues in the past 10 years or so, these barn weddings had become yeah. really popular. So people just had a barn and they kind of stripped it down and hung chandeliers in it <laughs> yes you know put a big bar in it and did all this stuff which is fine you know good for them mm -hmm. um but then that it, of course that became we never used to have that competition we had it was landis valley had the yellow barn and then there was rock for it but now there's all these barns so we have to spend we have to you know to to be even in the market we have to spend a lot of money on advertising oh, yeah. wedding websites and you just have to do it and um, of course, right now, that's that's another problem with the virus because all these weddings have had to be pushed back. Right. And, you know, so, but that's everybody's yeah. goal. Yeah, that's a, it's a, definitely a challenge. Um, so um, do you see any trends or challenges in preservation um, from, you know, from your, your standpoint? Uh, uh, there, I guess, you know, there always are. Um, one that's been, I think, on the on the um, radar, pretty much every historic house museum is that um, history and visitation to historic house museums seems to have really peaked around the time of the bicentennial, uh -huh. and then since then it's been kind of it declined quite a bit, and then it was hopefully you know leveled off a, um, a bit. Um, and history, unfortunately, is not usually, doesn't usually seem to be as much of a priority for schools um, as it used to be. Uh, there's this big focus now on STEM yeah. and 
on, which is fine, you know, and nothing wrong with that, obviously. <laughs> but, um, you know, science, math, science, math, we need to do better with science and math. Um, and the, the, you know, history seen as sort of a luxury or something for, for dilettantes. I mean, those of us, and, and you know, you're one of them too, obviously, right. but people that appreciate history recognize that one, it's really fun and interesting if it's taught well, if people are presented to it. Right. But then more importantly than that, of course, um, as a democratic republic, um, it's really, really important that the people who are running the country, i.e. ultimately the citizens, have an idea of where we've been as a country, where we've come from, Definitely. and how we got to where we are now. And without history, um, you don't really have a sense of that. Yeah. And so we think it is vitally important. And historic house museums are a way to connect for people to connect directly with it, as opposed to it's great to read about it, obviously, but there's no substitute for actually being in the place or being really almost in a way being in a time, going in a time machine and visiting a, a, a time that's right. long past, but still has resonance because the, the Faulkner, uh, the quote about the past is, um, what is it? Not never really passed. In fact, it's it's still here, really. Right. Yeah. Um, well, loosely paraphrased. <laughs> well, it's but it's. I think it's very true. There there are themes that go throughout history, and they they do repeat themselves. Um, I just finished uh, reading um, a book, a per, per, the Prairie Fires, and it was about Laura Ingleweiler's uh, yeah. family. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, some of those themes of, you know, the early 1900s, I could see themes of what we're living through now. Um, yeah. And I was like, you know, it's, we all think we're special and we're in this new, new time period, but we're really not. Everybody's done this before. <laughs> yeah, you're right. The repeating themes and yeah. the challenges are, you know, they come in different forms, but there's a lot of similarities and there's certainly a lot to be learned from what happened, you know, just yeah. a knowledge, working knowledge of what happened before and how it was yeah. dealt with and what it led to. Definitely. So is there anything that you wanted to share that I forgot to ask about? Um, um, I don't think so. I mean, I think we covered a lot of ground. Okay, um, very good. Um, well, how can someone contact you, contact, um, contact um, the organization, schedule? Well, I, I guess we're waiting to be able to reopen to come visit. <laughs> exactly. And nobody knows exactly when. Right at this point uh, but um, yes the easiest thing the best thing I would suggest is that they visit our website okay. at rockplantation.org is that a one it'll give them a lot more information lots of pictures I think a drone video of the ground <laughs> 33 acres actually which is kind of interesting too. it's pretty very um, but to be able to look at it and learn about what's going on go to the website also the contact information's on there if anyone okay. wanted to contact me directly probably the best way to do it is just my um, email which is um, director of rockfordplantation.org okay very good um, yeah and and i'll make sure all of those links are on our website too where okay. the podcast will be so that that'll be there and how can someone um support rockford or and you know i know they can visit but are there other volunteer opportunities or anything else 
There are, and um, there's information. There's a section on the website about volunteering, and if you're interested, how to to go about you know doing that, getting in touch with us, and uh, also as far as supporting Rockford, yes, that's you know critically important, of course. And yeah. uh, the chief way is by becoming a member, mm-hmm. and there's a membership uh, section, and I believe you can just do it through the website. You can become a member at different levels, and um, Membership is is also a way of the members are really what make Rockford possible, and ultimately, um, it's really the members that Rockford's all about. So it's not we're not just we don't just like to just ask for money. It's basically becoming a part of this place in a very real way. Well, very good. Thank you very much for for joining me today. Well, thank you for doing this, Danielle. This has been very interesting and. I appreciate you thinking of us. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Practical Preservation Podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.